the show the establishment warned you about. That's right, it's the Dr. Tommy Show. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We are here the day after the red wave that was supposed to be all over, but it only happened in Florida. Glad you're here. If you want to learn more about the Dr. Tommy Show, go to drtommyshow.slash podcast and you can learn how to follow us, listen to us, and watch us. Uh, last night was the red wave that never happened. It was going to be, they told us, everybody was predicting it. Even the uh, people on the left on the media side were predicting a red wave. And we got uh, only a, a, a split decision instead of a knockout victory like uh, it was supposed to be for the Republicans. And we'll talk about a little bit what that means. Uh, what it doesn't mean, though, is that there was a problem in Florida because Florida had a red wave, a real red wave. And uh, Governor DeSantis crushed Charlie Crist the same way that uh, George Foreman crushed Joe Frazier uh, back in 1973. And uh, this is a little bit from his victory speech that he had last night. Um, Just listen here. Well, thank you so much. You know, over these past four years, we've seen major challenges for the people of our state, for the citizens of the United States and above all for the cause of freedom. We saw freedom in our very way of life and so many other jurisdictions in this country wither on the vine. Florida held the line. We chose facts over fear. We chose education over indoctrination. We chose law and order over rioting and disorder. Florida was a refuge of sanity when the world went mad. We stood as a citadel of freedom for people across this country and indeed across the world. We faced attacks. We took the hits. We weathered the storms. But we stood our ground. We did not back down. We had the conviction to guide us, and we had the courage to lead. We made promises. We made promises to the people of Florida, and we have delivered on those promises. And so today, after four years, the people have delivered their verdict. Freedom is here to stay. That is the uh, future president, I believe, of the United States. And uh, until today, or until yesterday, I didn't believe it was going to be that way because... Not because of anything having to do with Ron DeSantis, but because of the way that the thing was going to play out with Donald Trump. But after this election, it has shown to me that Donald Trump, his time has passed. Uh, Donald Trump, after the election, went on to say that uh, and before the election was saying that uh, DeSantis was not going to be the guy to carry the to carry the uh, mantle of the GOP in the next election. This election has shown me that after this, Donald Trump's time has passed and it's time to uh, for him to take his golden watch, as they say, and accept his retirement. Thank him for his service, because the way he has uh, conducted himself around the time of this election and just afterwards tells me that he's not going to be able to make it. And this this movement, this MAGA movement that we have here is because of Donald Trump only in part. 
Donald Trump was the guy who took the MAGA movement and won the election against all odds, against the media, against the establishment uh, in his own party, against the uh, the Democrat machine, and he beat Hillary Clinton. And he took MAGA and he was able to change things and try to drain the swamp. He got some things right. He got some things wrong. And he did a, a, a commendable job when he was president of the United States. But the MAGA movement did not start with Donald Trump. The MAGA movement may have been named by Donald Trump, but the MAGA movement really, in my lifetime, started around 2010 with the Tea Party. And the uh, general lack of uh, belief in the system from both sides of the Democrats and the Republicans, and that was the Tea Party. The Tea Party was the, in my experience, the first time that people who were conservative basically believed that both sides of the aisle were screwed up and then there was there had to be a different way and that third way was what was the tea party and which came to fruition full fruition later on as uh, as Donald Trump and the uh, in the presidency now before the election Donald Trump was saying that Ron DeSantis was uh, not really accepting his spot and he alluded to this a few times, saying through through leaks and various different things that he made Ron DeSantis. And before that, it was just leaks. Uh, but here we are. This is from the New York Post. This was before the election. It says that Ron DeSantis's lawyer, who is Alina Habba, Abba, Habba, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, H-A-B-B-A. This is what she said. DeSantis is DeSantis because of Trump. I think I like what DeSantis is doing in Florida, but he needs to stay in Florida. Hoppe said he's not ready yet. And then the Trump says he's going to make a big announcement next week. Now, you have to understand when she's talking like this, this is her talking. But this is actually Donald Trump. This is Donald Trump's lawyer. This is what Donald Trump believes. And this is what's been leaked out before. And then you had before the election, he called Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSanctimonious. And that was made a big deal about it in the media. And then we were supposed to think that, um, you know, uh, this was the beginning of the rift. Well, apparently the rift's been going on for a little bit for a while now. There was rumors of it before. Now we have a full on uh, confirmation of this, quote unquote, rift or this um, this thing that's going on between Ron DeSantis and Trump, where DeSantis is seen as a threat to Trump. And uh, so after the after the uh, election, this Ron DeSantis beats uh, Christ. And then Trump says that uh, Trump says that DeSantis has to stay basically uh, on the sidelines and allow him being Trump to take his spot as the uh, elect as the uh, nominee for the next uh, election in 2024. And uh, so I don't I don't know what he's thinking, but I think the majority of people have seen this uh, play out and they know that Trump is not going to be able to probably carry the election in 2024 the way it is standing, the way this election's gone, this this midterm election. It wasn't a bloodbath necessarily for the Republicans, but it wasn't the red wave that was supposed to be And only a few of the people that Donald Trump uh, was able to endorse were able to get elected. And one of them was J.D. Vance. But there was a lot of people that Trump was supposed to be able to, to push over through his the power of his uh, endorsement and was not able to. And then Trump is also, um, I think he's damaged himself in the way he's he's basically said that if, if, if DeSantis 
if DeSantis does run, then there's going to be some stuff come out that Trump knows about DeSantis. And that, that's not a good way to go about uh that's not a good way to go about convincing people to to uh, support you if you're the president nominee. This is what Trump says. This is from uh, Newsweek. He, uh, Trump says, I don't know if he's running. I think if he runs, he could hurt himself very badly. I really believe he could hurt himself badly. And this was talking to Fox News. I think he would be making a mistake. I think the base would not like it. I don't think it would be good for the party. I would tell you some things about him that won't be very flattering. I know him more about him than anybody other than perhaps his wife. That that line right there to me is what did it. That line right there told me that Trump does not have the emotional composure to be able to successfully be the president again in 2024, as much as it pains me to say that, because I've been one of the people who supported Trump throughout the years saying that, you know, Trump's Trump. He might be a little crazy. He may be a little um, he's not orthodox, but that's part of what makes him effective. Uh, that being said, now that Trump has shown himself to me, shown us uh, he's not going to be the one to be able to do this because no nobody should be attacking a, a person like Ron DeSantis, who is by all means the most successful uh, Republican in the United States politician politically alive today. Nobody who who views themselves as a part of a team of a Republican team should be attacking Ron DeSantis the way he just said that. He says, I'll tell you some things about him that won't be very flattering. I know more about him than anybody other than perhaps his wife. That, to me, is a disqualifying factor, even more so than the Ron DeSanctimonious thing, which you could say, well, that's just a a nickname. He called called Ted Lion Ted, and he called little Little Marco Little Marco, and now they're all friends again. This tells me that there's something up his sleeve, and he's trying to damage DeSantis, perhaps beyond repair, in order for him to be able to win the 2024 election. And to me, that's disqualifying for someone who's trying to seek the presidential nomination in 2024, as Trump is going to try to do, I suppose, next week when he is going to make his big announcement. Uh, now, Florida is, you can probably say Florida is the most conservative state in the union. Um uh, Florida is the most conservative state in the union. In this, in this past election, we saw kind of a, uh, a solidifying, I guess you say, of the philosophies of the different states because we have the blue governors in Michigan, New York, and Oregon who all held serve. So Michigan, Whitmer beat Dixon. In New York, Hochul beat Zeldin. And in Oregon, it looks like Kotech and Drazen are still neck and neck. But in California, obviously, uh Gavin Newsom still won. So uh, that's what happened in the blue, blue, blue states. And then you have over in the red states, you know, North Dakota, Christy Nome won, Texas, Abbott won, Florida, DeSantis won, Georgia, Brian Kemp won. So basically the, the, the states held serve. And there's a few states that are up in the air. Arizona now, Hobbs and Lake are going at it. And Hobbs is surprisingly ahead of Lake, even though all the polling going into it showed that Hobbs was going to be probably the big loser. It's interesting because she's a secretary of state as well. So she's able to simultaneously run for the office that she is also supervising the election of, which a lot of people said was was not very um, on the on the level. But anyway, so Arizona is kind of a toss up uh, state. But overall, the states held. So the states that were blue stayed blue. 
as far as governors are concerned, the states that were red stayed red. And so what you're having now is this further solidifying of the philosophies of the states. A lot of these states that are blue uh, also enacted policies or, or legislation referenda to say that abortion is a right in their in their state now. So they've written it into the Constitution. Uh, several of these states have, have passed different types of uh, legal uh, consensus that says that abortion is now sacrosanct in our state and it is a, basically a human right. And so what you're seeing now is there's states like Florida where we're saying, look, uh, we're going to start making things even more conservative here. Uh, they passed the 15-week abortion ban here. And then you have the other states where they're saying, look, we're going to make things even more liberal on our state. So you're seeing this further divide, uh, which some people will lament. I don't think it's necessary to lament that because basically that's federalism at hand. What is What is dangerous, though, is that the blue states are in lockstep with the federal government at the same time. We had a federal government that was basically neutral. If we had a federal government that followed the Constitution, that did not uh, try to enact travel bans and not try to enact vaccine mandates and, and try to enact all these other things, everything would be fine. The liberals could have their liberal states and the conservatives could have their conservative states and we wouldn't have a big deal. But the problem is, is that the federal government is overwhelmingly on the side of an activist government, at least as it is now. Plus the fact that no matter who's in office, like we learned with Trump, it doesn't matter if Trump's in office, it doesn't matter if it's Biden in office, the, the government, the main, the, 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 the fourth uh, branch of government, the administrative state is going to always be a, uh, entrenched and is, is always liberal. It's always uh, a progressive. It's always going to be in, in favor. And when I say liberal and progressive, I basically mean it's going to be in favor of bigger government. Uh, liberalism and progressivism is synonymous with big government. Uh, and so big government, liberalism, progressivism are, 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 are tied together. And the federal government is pro-government. The federal government is pro itself. It is like an organism that seeks to uh, benefit itself at all turns. And that's the same with all the bureaucracies and all the smaller parts of the government. The Department of Education exists to benefit itself. The Department of uh, Defense exists to benefit itself. All the different factions within the Department of Defense all exist to benefit themselves, the Army and the Navy. So everyone's always fighting for their own uh, pie. They're always, always fighting to get their budget bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's the federal government in general. So that's the problem with the federal government and when you have the states is that the federal government is always going to fall on the side of of the states that are progressive or who are pro-government states. And so we have this kind of uh, this 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 solidifying of the different factions within the within the states. Or I'm sorry, within the country of the conservative states, the blue states and the red states. But the federal government's always going to be on the side of progressivism because of that permanent bureaucratic fourth branch of government, the administrative state. And so what we're going to have to deal with is now is coming up in 2024 from the Republican standpoint is what are we going to do about uh, how, how do you run against that? How do you run? If you nominate someone like DeSantis, who is uh, more um, acceptable, let's say, to all Republicans. So there's the, the suburban moms, at least at this point, haven't been turned off yet. Uh, have to keep them away from watching The View and keep them away from CNN. And then hopefully they won't get turned off on DeSantis because you know that they're going to turn on DeSantis now starting today with 100% of their power. 
they're probably going to start to ignore Donald Trump. What they're going to do is use Donald Trump as a cudgel against DeSantis. But they're going to stop trying to destroy Trump. I think they're going to let Trump just do what he's doing, but they're going to try to use Trump to destroy DeSantis, and they're going to use him as a tool. And Trump, because he's Trump, is going to accept that challenge, and he's going to try to destroy DeSantis because he thinks that DeSantis, as as his lawyer says, is is not staying in his lane and DeSantis is taking the spotlight from Trump. So Trump is going to play into the hands of the media, unfortunately, I believe. And he is not going to, uh, uh, he's not going to take a step back and acknowledge that his successor is DeSantis because his pride won't let him do it. He wants to be president still. And it just so happens his time has passed. His time has passed, and it's not because he's ineffective, but because there's someone who's more effective who's there. And Donald Trump hopefully would realize that for the better, for the for the sake of his country, for the sake of his party, that he has to realize what's going on. But I don't know that his his pride would let allow that to happen. But what's going to happen is you're going to have DeSantis. He's going to be set upon uh, by these wolves in the uh in the in the media by the the coven and the on the view they're going to meet and they're going to hatch up all these different uh, scenarios where now DeSantis is a a person who is who is just as evil as Donald Trump he is just as dastardly as Donald Trump and maybe even worse I did remember seeing that before Trump before uh, back a few few months ago about DeSantis was even worse than Trump because of that, because DeSantis did not have Trump's um, negatives. He was even more dangerous. And so you're going to see this. They're going to say DeSantis is Trump with all the bad things that Trump has. Uh, the bad things meaning, meaning things that are having to do with freedom, you know, for the way they look at it, DeSantis is bad because he believes in uh, he believes in limited government. That's the worst thing possible to the left. He also believes in personal freedom. That's the second most worst thing to possible to the left. He believes that uh, there's a right to self defense. He believes in uh, uh, <clears throat> he believes in he's a pro life person. And then you go down the line. So they're going to say these are all the terrible things about DeSantis. But what makes him even more dangerous is. He's uh, he's a little bit more clever than Trump. Trump goes out there and he's you know, he's he, he's an easy target. He sets himself up to be an easy target for us. DeSantis is a little bit more dangerous. So they're going to even paint him as being more dangerous. So what you got now is you got DeSantis. He's trying to he's going to try to run for president in 2024. And uh, he's going to be running against it's going to be ha- he's going to be having some headwinds against him uh, because you have this. The way that our elections are set up are set up for Republicans to lose. Uh, why do I say that? Well, the governorship, for instance, the governors in, uh, in, in the I'm sorry, not the governorship. The elections themselves are set up for for Republicans to lose because elections don't happen on Election Day. Elections happen it's election week, in some cases, election weeks. So you have this built in ability for the Democrats who have a machine unlike any other in history. 
because they've been doing this since the beginning of electoral politics. They've been building these machines and the machine politics of the of the Democrats allows them to go into all of these neighborhoods, allows them to go to all these civic organizations, allows them to go into the nursing homes, allows them to go into all these different places and get ballots. They can get ballots and they mail them in and they mail them in exceedingly efficiently. And the way they win elections is by mailing in ballots. Basically, they win elections by mailing in ballots. They they win elections by uh, vote by mail. They win elections through ways other than they win they win elections through early voting. So they they get all these people who are otherwise maybe not inclined to vote or not as enthusiastic to vote as say your average Republican, you know. And then they say, well, look, we're going to make it easy for you. We're going to bring the bus by. You're going to have your ballot. We're going to help you fill out your ballot. Everybody's going to get on. We're going to have uh, we're going to have a trip. We're going to go down there and we'll all drop off our ballots or whatever the case is. They get all these ballots together and then they have a more efficient way to get people to, to produce votes for their for their party. Republicans don't do that because Republicans by nature vote on their own. They want to vote. I'm not saying that all Democrats don't want to vote. I'm sure there's people out there that want to go. But Republicans don't go to nursing homes, for instance, and say, let's gather up ballots and get people to vote. They don't organize neighborhoods the way Democrats do. And if you don't believe this is true, you can look it up yourself. But in Democrat neighborhoods, they'll go door to door and asking people for their ballots. Uh, There was a lady in Orange County who actually was a whistleblower for this. But I've been reading about this for a long time especially in the in the cities in the inner city neighborhoods where they have these and that's why democrats always want to have big cities because the more people you put in a big city the more likely it is to be democrat and the more and the easier it is to turn out the vote and uh i was reading before this was back in national review was something that you that you would read you don't want to read it now you even have a paywall now but back in the day national review used to be a Pretty good read for for conservatives. And they, uh, Jesse Jackson was talking about this uh, program they have called Knock and Drag. And basically, they knock on the door and drag your ass to the polls to vote. And then, so that's the type of way that Democrats vote. And so they're able to churn out big numbers for votes. And unless you're able to do the same thing on the Republican side there may not be a good way to win a presidential election in the future for Republicans because more and more and more they're trying to get towards mail-in voting. Even in Florida here, we had a large part of the vote was mail-in voting. It just so happened we were able to win still and win handily. But overall, in general, Republicans prefer to vote on the a day of election and Democrats like to drag the process out, have mail-in voting, early voting, all these different ways to vote, because you can get people who are less motivated to go vote. So it's like having six bites at the apple instead of one. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a voter and you're at home and you say, well, I, it's time to vote. And I think I want to go vote for Ron DeSantis, but there's also one of the, my programs on Netflix and I want to watch this next episode of Dahmer. And before you know it, you watch three or four episodes of Dahmer and it's six thirty, and the polls are closing and you're like, well, Maybe I don't want to go for it, vote for DeSantis after all. We'll replay that. And let's say that you're not sitting there on the election day, but you're sitting there three or four weeks before election day. And then you say, well, you know, I have all of next week to go vote and I'm going to go vote for Charlie Crist. And, uh, 
today I'm not going to vote for Charlie Crist and tomorrow uh, I was busy, but then, you know, you have four or five more days you're going to vote. And then one of those days you actually get in there, you get to vote for Charlie Crist. So you're not, you don't have this need to be able to just drop whatever you're doing and make it a priority. It's kind of more of a, uh, eh, when I get around to it, I feel like I'm going to vote. And then plus if you're in one of these, uh, in one of these neighborhoods where they have these uh, local machines where they uh, precinct people come around and they, they whip the vote up for the, people to go vote. This is all the things that are going to put Republicans behind the eight ball in the next election. Uh, so the, 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 the outcome of this election was, is a split decision, I think. And it's, it's just, it's disappointing to have a split decision, but that's not a loss. Uh, there's a time when, you know, you can go into a fight thinking you're going to get a knockout. Uh, you know, George Foreman back in the day was on the comeback trail he had fought Evander Holyfield for the title in 1991 and lost. Uh, then he came on the comeback trail and he fought this guy named Jimmy Ellis, who was a tomato can. He knocked him out, stopped him in a few rounds. And then after that, he was going to fight this other guy. And this other guy's name was Alex Stewart. And Alex Stewart was supposed to play the part of the tomato can too and get knocked out in a, in a hurry. And Alex Stewart had been already knocked out by Mike Tyson in similar fashion. I'm sure that's why George Foreman picked him because he thought this guy's going to get smoked by me the same way Mike Tyson smoked him because Alex Stewart, apart from being a very big heavyweight, a big, rugged, uh, good hitting heavyweight, had a little bit of fear in him. And then when he fought Tyson, uh, Alex Stewart looked like a deer in the headlights and he got run over by Tyson with minimal effort. Uh, not to say that he wouldn't have been beat by Tyson eventually, but he got knocked out by Tyson minimally, minimal effort. Anyway, comes to fight George Foreman, come back in George Foreman and, uh, Alex Stewart actually put up a big fight against, uh, Foreman after he was knocked down twice. So Alex Stewart is knocked down twice early in the fight. looks like it's going to be a blowout. The same thing we've seen this show before. And then he did something, did something that was unusual. He stood up and he, he showed some courage and he actually beat. Uh, George Foreman's face to a pulp, literally beat George Foreman's face to a pulp. And at the end of the fight, there's a lot of people who thought that Alex Stewart won the fight. Alex Stewart won, lost by majority decision. And that's what happened to us last night. The Republicans lost by majority decision. They didn't get knocked out. They didn't get upset. They're, they're going to look like they're going to pick up one of the houses or I'm sorry, they're going to pick up the house. But they didn't win the knockout that they were supposed to win. And that's what is going to uh, be the the storyline going into 2024 is that – can the Republicans recover from that? And can they also uh, implement some type of uh, implement some type of something to make the voters want to vote for them more because the voters didn't want to vote for them a lot, which is very surprising, because if you look at it, what did Democrats have to vote for? So in a place like. Let's pick Michigan, for instance, in Michigan, Voters voted for uh, Whitmer over Dixon. Okay, and so the voters of Michigan were saying, "What we like lockdowns. We like being told that we can't buy seeds when it's uh, the coronavirus is going on. We like our kids being sent home from school and kept home from school." So that's what people voted for in Michigan over Dixon. What they vote for in New York? Well, Kathy Hochul over Zeldin. Well, they say we like voting for hellacious crime problems. 
We like voting for no bail, no cash bails, so people who are convicted can get out right away and commit more crimes. We also like voting for lockdowns. So this is this is the thing that you have to you have to decide as a as a, if you're running for president or, or running for national office, or if you're the leader of a, a party like McCarthy is. How do you get a message across to people who are otherwise inclined to vote for people like this? Where's the common ground? Is there a common ground? How do you, as a presidential candidate like Ron DeSantis in 2024, potentially, or how do you, as the leader of um, the the Republicans, if, if they win the House, if uh, Kevin McCarthy has made the majority leader, how do you fashion a uh, argument that you you have the good ideas if the people in these states want to vote for for Whitmer if they want to vote for Hochul if they want to vote for shutdowns they want to vote for cash no cash bail you know they are basically liberal or progressive or left wing how do you I mean is it I don't know the, the I guess the point is that's was the point of the electoral college because you have to go through and, and figure out how many states can I cobble together that don't believe that and just leave those other states to their own to their own? Because I don't know how you make common ground with a state full of voters who prefer someone to be their governor who prefers lockdowns, because I take that to think that those people in that state prefer lockdowns. And there's no way you're going to send a guy like Ron DeSantis in there who says, I like freedom to someone who says, I like lockdowns. I don't understand how that's going to work. This is a little bit more about what happened with DeSantis. So this is from the blaze and it says, uh, DeSantis carried Miami Dade County by 11 points. So Miami Dade County for, for those of you who are familiar is a place in Florida, which is heavily Democrat. He lost it by 20 in 2018. DeSantis carried Hillsborough County where I'm sitting now by nine points. He lost it by nine in 2018. So that was an 18 point swing in four, four, four years. DeSantis carried Osceola County, which is Orlando by seven points. Listen to this. Lost it by 21 in 2018. And also Orlando, interestingly enough, is where, uh, where Disney is located. And DeSantis famously had a, a big throwdown with Disney. DeSantis carried Palm Beach County. This is a big one by three, lost it by 17 in 2018. That's another big Democrat stronghold. And here's another one, Duval County. He lost it by 4.5 points in 2008. I'm sorry, in 2018, he won it by 13 this past time. So DeSantis knows how to maybe do what I was talking about just then. Maybe he is the guy to be able to, to to fashion a message that reaches to reaches across to people who are otherwise not inclined to vote for you. So this is another thing. This is uh, talking about Trump and DeSantis. This is another thing. It's talking about Trump and DeSantis. And this is uh, Lee Zeldin uh, had a backer named uh, Don Dov. Hickland, and uh, he said that he said that um, uh, what's this say here? This is what he's had to say about DeSantis. He goes, uh, 
he, he said that we're all disappointed looking at the bigger picture, but what was supposed to happen was we're supposed to have great victories across the country. But he made the point that I was making earlier. He says, I would like to say to the former President Trump, who I supported and did great things during this term, I would like him to say, I'd like to say to him, move on. A couple of days before the election, he tells the country he has a major announcement. Donald Trump, it was all it was not about you. It was about the candidates who were running and you took that away from them. There's no question he hurt candidates all over this country. So uh, this guy is saying that Donald Trump did hurt the candidates because of his uh, unwillingness to cede the room to the people who were actually running for office at that time. And he tried to make it all about himself, according to this guy. And, uh, and and I think in a lot of ways that is true, that Donald Trump was not able to step aside and allow the candidates to be the candidates, and he wanted it to be about him. Uh, what else here? Oh, this is interesting. This is um, from Newsweek again. It says, uh, according to book, odds makers, bookmakers, DeSantis is favored over Trump. And it says here, uh, bookmakers are now naming DeSantis as a new frontrunner after a number of Trump's endorsed midterm candidates. Many who backed the false claims to the 2020 election was stolen, failed to win their contests. That's Newsweek. Uh, according to William Hill, DeSantis is now five to two to win the 2024 presidential election with Trump three to one. So that's a slight edge to DeSantis as far as the bookmakers are concerned. Uh, DeSantis is nine to four to win, according to Irish bookmaker Patty Power, in 72 for Trump. And then they have Skybet has DeSantis as a favorite, 5-2, to two, and Trump 10-3. to three. So, slight edge for DeSantis over Trump, according to these odds makers. Uh, so, that's interesting. So, overall, I think the, the take-home message from this post-election uh, that we're still we're still going through. We still have a number of seats up for for grabs, according to uh, Fox News. Uh, there is not. Um, let's see. There's projected winner now. Just now came across projected winner, uh, Ron Johnson. So that's good. Ron Johnson was projected to keep his seat in the Senate, but there's a number of places that are still left in play. Uh, let's see what they say here. Fox News. Da, da, da. Republicans now have 203 seats, uh, and there are 175. This is in the House, 175 for Democrats, and it takes 218 to win, and it's calculating now how many are left in play, so I'll get back to that. There are three seats left in play in the Senate, so let's see what that shows here. So uh, Ron Johnson was just projected to win the Senate, so let's see what they have here. There's some toss-up races still. Mark Kelly... Uh, is an incumbent over Blake Masters. They have not counted all of the votes from Maricopa County yet, so they have not declared a winner yet. And that was a complete uh, catastrophe there in Maricopa County where they had ballot machines going down left and right and people weren't able to vote. Um, And then we have Michael Bennett. Uh, He's still, no, he beat, he he won. I'm sorry. Uh, Let's see who else is there. Uh, the Cary Lake is still, likewise in Arizona, that's still up in the air. Uh, what else do we have here? So the House, like I said, looks like there's going to be a, a win for the, or, I'm sorry, a majority for the Republicans. It's, it's still not known how many, and it may take several weeks for some of those results to come in. Um, 
Sarah Palin lost in Alaska. She and the other Republican combined for for 50, about 51 percent. And then the Democrat then was allowed to get in because there was two Republicans running against each other because Alaska has this crazy ranked choice voting where you rank your choices by one, two, three versus just picking who you want. And so that allowed this Mary Paltola to win. She's the at large, um, well, the sole representative now in Alaska. Let's see what else. So the big loser, uh, one of the big losers was uh, Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz lost to John Fetterman, who by all accounts is not capable of being a senator uh, because of his health problem, because of his stroke. Uh, that being said, he's now the senator elect from Pennsylvania. And that's what I was back to saying is how do you reach a state which Donald Trump won in 2016? How do you reach a state with a message to say, vote for me if you're a conservative when they are willing to vote for John Fetterman? who is a person who is most interested in, and this is his own words, uh, eliminating the death penalty, or uh, sorry, not even the death penalty, eliminating uh, life in prison for everybody. He doesn't think anybody should ever have life in prison. He thinks that's a bridge too far. So if you're a child rapist murderer, you should not have life in prison. That's just one of the things that he believes in, among all the other left-wing kook things that he believes in. So how do you go about convincing a person like that than to vote for you because you're a conservative. If the if if the majority of the state, the voters, vote for a guy like that, I don't know how you do it. Uh, what else we got here? So New York, like I said, Kathy Hochul, she won uh, over Lee Zeldin. And then there was a few long shots that, that, that were actually pulling very well. Don Boldick in uh, New Hampshire, he lost. And uh, so I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be interesting coming up, though. The new the new spin from the media is going to be the destruction of the Democrat of the Republican Party through uh, through fighting between Donald Trump and uh, Ron DeSantis. They're going to promote that if Donald Trump, I hope, does not feed into this, because if he does feed into this, it's going to be a long two years. It's going to be an ugly two years. And he's not going to end up helping himself, for sure, his legacy. And he's not going to help DeSantis. He's not going to help the party. And he is not going to help uh, help uh, the country. And I believe that in his heart of hearts, Donald Trump wants good for this country. I also believe in his heart of hearts, the most important thing to Donald Trump is Donald Trump. And he believes that his well-being is directly tied to the well-being of the country. I don't believe that he thinks that stepping aside is in the best interest of the country. I think Donald Trump believes that he is the only one who can lead us out of this uh, problem that we have here with high inflation, with uh, with crime, uh, with illegal immigration, with frankly, unconstitutionalism with the way that we go about uh, just rampant spending and uh, 
just all of the different things that are the problems that we have as a as a national on the national level. I think he is the one that thinks that he can fix all those, and he's the only one that thinks he can fix them. And because that is the most important thing is fixing those problems. I think he has convinced himself that he is the only one that can do it. And therefore the ends justify the, the means justify the ends. So in order for him to be the nominee, in order for him to get elected, because he thinks he's the only one that can fix our problems, no matter what happens in the intervening times, if it means destroying Ron DeSantis, then so be it. And I don't think that's the way to go. And I hope there's people around him that are going to convince him otherwise. But having watched Donald Trump now for probably seven years, I know for a fact that he is his own counsel. And I doubt there's anybody who could convince him otherwise. It seems like the only person that he does listen to is his son-in-law. And who knows what his son-in-law will tell him. Um most of the time, I think his son-in-law leads him astray because his son-in-law is a liberal. But anyway, so we'll see. This is a Ron DeSantis, though. This is his time to shine, his time to uh, uh, relish in his victory. It's time for Republicans in the Florida to relish their victory, electoral victory. I'm sorry, election victories. And it's time for us to look forward to uh, coming uh, two years and see what's going to happen. In the meantime, we're going to be stuck in the same place we are now. I think there's going to be basically nothing done to fix inflation. There's going to be nothing done to fix the border. And there's going to be nothing done to uh, fix our standing in the United States. I'm sorry, in the world from the United States standpoint and pressuring countries not to be ill actors such as Russia invading Ukraine, China invading Taiwan and uh, and North Korea sending out missiles uh, threatening Japan and South Korea. All of that's going to stay. It's 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 like a it's like a wound that's just going to fester now for two more years, and we have to hope that by two more years that we can find someone to have a cure for that wound, because there is a good chance by the end of two more years, like I said, China will be invading Taiwan, and there's also a good chance that in addition to all the international things that are threatening us, we're going to be continue to be threatened from within through people like uh, the people who are like um, on the left who want us to be shut down, want to take away uh, our rights to uh, uh, bear arms. They want to take our rights to have uh, freedom of assembly uh, by making us feel like if you, if you, if you do anything to, uh, to act against them, that you're, uh, threatening our democracy, as I say. And so this is going to be, uh, it's, uh, as they say, our, our fight has just begun. And so we have one here in Florida. If you're a conservative, you're winning in Florida. But overall, you still have to keep your guard up because you, the threats are still there for our country internationally, for our country from within. And we're just going to have to uh, keep our wits about us and also keep your eye on the ball. Don't fall for the uh, Democrat hoopla, though. The Democrats in the media are going to try to destroy the Republicans by using Donald Trump. Don't fall for that. And to Donald Trump's supporters and Donald Trump himself, uh, it's time to let Donald Trump uh, enjoy his retirement because I think his time has passed. So for all of you listening, thanks for joining us. Go to drtommy.com slash podcast. If you're still listening, subscribe, and we appreciate it. Until next time, bye-bye. 